This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer on this gorgeous Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few minutes, lawyer Kyla Lee returns to our show to take your calls and answer your questions about all things cannabis, just a few days short of legalization in this country next Wednesday. Still, many outstanding details as the launch begins next week, not all of which have been thought through, so that leaves us with a lot of questions. Kyla will join us in a few minutes, and next hour, John Carlson returns with a fresh Vancouver market real estate update. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And we have to begin with the new all-time record high gas prices at pumps all over Metro Vancouver today, ranging from lows of a buck 58 up to a dollar 63, of course 0.9 per liter. And it's all because of that gas pipeline rupture near Prince George earlier this week. According to our friend Dan McTagg at gasbuddy.com, the shortage of natural gas is directly affecting the three Washington state refineries that supply most of our gas. You see, they use natural gas to power their machines in the refining process. And with reduced supply available, the prices to the refineries have gone up. Well, and they're simply handing that price directly along to us. Thus, yesterday's price hike and today's increase too. So, when can we expect all this to go away? Way. Well, not until the natural gas supply is normalized, and we're at about 75% of capacity now, so that could take a while. Just for comparison, by the way, gas prices in Prince George right now, we're talking a buck 63 in Vancouver. It's $1.28 in Prince George, and that's just a few clicks away from the pipeline explosion. Go figure. Oh, here's one that smacks of Big Brother. Walmart has applied for a patent on a new shopping cart. This one contains biometric tracking capability built into the cart's handle, which will be transmitted to store employees in real time while you shop. The information will include your temperature, heart rate, grip, and walking speed. Now, Walmart says, hey, this is a health thing. They want to be ready to assist any shopper who's having any kind of medical issues in their stores. But most analysts already agree there's a lot more to this because the heartbeat information alone transmitted uh, while you shop can be used to help the retailer figure out what you like best and act on on that information. Walmart says this is a private system and none of your personal information will be collected. Are you ready to be tracked that closely while you shop? This is far from over. We'll keep you posted. Down in the States, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is pushing back on Tesla's suggestion that its Model 3 is the safest car ever tested. The Model 3 was issued the agency's top five-star rating a couple of months ago, scoring top marks in all categories, including rollover resistance. So this puts it on the same tier as the Honda Civic and the Toyota Camry, and it beats out the battery-powered Chevrolet Bolt, which was given overall five-star rating but earned just four stars in front impact tests. So this week, Tesla released a deep dive analysis of publicly available crash test stuff, and it says it shows the Model 3 has the lowest 
probability of injury of any car with the Model S and the Model X ranked second and third. So the safety administration people got their backs up and issued the following statement. Results from these three crash tests and the rollover resistance assessments are weighted and combined into an overall safety rating. A five-star rating is the highest safety rating a vehicle can achieve. We do not distinguish safety performance beyond that rating, so there is no safest vehicle among these vehicles achieving five-star ratings. No further action planned by the safety board. Perhaps the marketeers at Tesla will pull in their horns a little bit. And with a month or two to go until ski season hits in some parts of the province, it's darn closer in many others, Airbnb is looking at a big year in BC. The accommodation app company rather has listed the top 10 trending places in North America and Kamloops and area is taken third place to two spots in Montana, which are behind, rather, those two spots in Montana. So according to Kamloops Matters, the ranking is based on the bookings between November and March and growth by percentage of Airbnb bookings over last year for the same period. Kamloops and area are 145% up over bookings last year and not far behind Big Sky Montana, which is at 160. The next closest Canadian location, right behind in fourth, Collingwood. Ontario, the home of Blue Mountain, and then the only other Canadian city on the list is Revelstoke at 7th with 123% growth year to year. Both Kamloops and Revelstoke have worked hard in recent years to build up their facilities and their image, and it's kind of nice to see it all paying off. Going to be a good year in Kamloops and Revelstoke. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at a few more later in the show. Coming up in just a few moments, lawyer Kyla Lee from Acumen Law will join us to take your calls on cannabis. There is This is no longer an abstract issue. Legalization kicks on in on Wednesday. Oh, by the way, legalization kicks in on Wednesday. And to celebrate, there's a Kanye West concert here in Vancouver. That is going to be just a bit of a gong show. Uh, so lots of questions still remaining, so get your questions ready. We'll open up our phone lines right after the break to Kyla Lee from Acumen Law. This is Vancouver Consumer, and you're with CKNW. 13 degrees in the afternoon sunshine in English Bay. Sterling Fox with you, joined on the line from Calgary by Vancouver criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Corporation. Kyla, good afternoon. Thanks for being with us again. Thank you for having me again. Oh, it's good to have you with us here. Now, you're making a presentation to the Criminal Defense Lawyer Association of Calgary on impaired driving, specifically cannabis impaired driving, this weekend, correct? Yes, I just finished about half an hour ago. <laughs> oh, so here you are with a group of fellow defense lawyers in a room. You make your presentation, and uh, if you've just finished up, when you do the Q&A after the presentation, especially to a group of lawyers who supposedly know all this stuff, what do they want to know? What were the big questions left to them to ask of you? Lots of scientific questions about how testing is going to be done and how results are interpreted. Um, we're seeing a lot of concern from the defense bar about the science underlying cannabis and impaired driving, which are a lot of the concerns that the public has generally, too. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, uh, as, as a result of, uh, I suppose, lack of standards. It's also new, Kyla. I'm, I'm thinking now of the reactions of some of the uh, police forces, the military, uh, first 
responders across the country, and it varies. For example, uh, some individuals, uh, members of the military, for example, and the RCMP won't be allowed to, to ingest cannabis in any way for 28 days prior to going on duty, which seems a little unrealistic. Nonetheless, that's the rule for now. And, and, but the rules are uh, already, such as they are, are in a constant state of flux and are likely to be that way for a while, don't you think? I, I do think, and, and it is difficult in Canada to live in a situation where you have these rules that are constantly in flux, as well as rules that vary depending what municipality you're in, mm-hmm. what province you're in. It's hard for the public to be informed about what their rights are when it comes to cannabis, depending on where in this country you're standing. Right. I wanted to ask you, and we'll get back to the driving stuff, and let's open up the phone lines, by the way. I did promise at the beginning of the hour that you were here to take as many calls as we could humanly stand over the next uh, hour uh, about any questions. It's coming up on Wednesday. It's no longer theoretical. It's almost upon us, and there are lots of questions that people have, and it's not just about impaired driving. So phone lines are open as of this moment. It's 604-280-9898. Again, 604-280-9898. Your calls on cannabis issues to Kyla Lee and me. Uh, Kyla, as, uh, as we go forward with the science uh, and, and the rules, uh, I'm curious about, speaking of the rules, uh, coming back here to Vancouver, they, it's, it is said, and I saw it on TV again last night, that Calgary is likely to be the most organized Canadian city come Wednesday and legalization. So what are they doing that Vancouver has yet to do? I think one of the reasons that Calgary is so organized is that they do have a really progressive city government. Um, I I think their mayor here, he's very fiscally conservative, but otherwise very open to new ideas. And so when they saw that cannabis legalization was coming, they got their act together and they got things things going. I think Vancouver and, and British Columbia sort of generally right now is suffering because all of the municipalities are in a bit of a state of flux right. because of the municipal election. Of course. And, and I guess that you know, we know, for example, already that the city of Richmond is not interested in any cannabis retail uh, outlets or operations of any kind. And that uh, position is likely not to change after next Saturday's municipal election. But that's not necessarily the case in other metro Vancouver municipalities, is it? No, not at all. And even in Vancouver, we have a really big question about a lot of the dispensaries that have been sort of operating in this legal gray area for all this time. And what's going to become of them after the legalization date? Are VPD suddenly going to change their tack and and go in and raid these dispensaries because we're only going to have one lawful dispensary open in British Columbia on October 17th? Or are they going to let them be because they've been providing a service for all this time and it would be wrong to shut them down now? That's a really good question. And we just noticed uh, in the news, we had it here on NW just yesterday, uh, in Halifax, the police did, in fact, raid dispensaries that have been open and providing this, uh, the kind of service that you just mentioned here in Vancouver. Obviously, not as many of them, but nonetheless, they were shut down lock, stock and barrel just a, a day or two ago. Is that possible in Vancouver? It is possible in Vancouver, and I know a lot of 
people who are operating or working in those dispensaries are very concerned about it, as well as the people who access them. Another big concern that relates to that is how medical users of cannabis are going to access their supply if those dispensaries go away, because a lot of medical users use those because it's faster and easier than going through the mail. And we've seen a lot of news stories lately about concerns that the supply isn't going to meet the demand after legalization. Okay, and where I'm seeing more and more of that, uh, whether it's in the financial pages, uh, talking about these uh, major growing corporations like Tilray and Nanaimo and Canopy and all the others, uh, despite the, uh, and there's, a, of course, there's a lot of story, there's no shortage in the papers and on the internet these days about Canada's preparing for this legalization process and they go to Smith Falls, Ontario and other places right here in Delta, BC, where there are enorm- enormous growing uh, operations being set up. But the consensus seems to be kind agreeing with you that very shortly after legalization, we're going to experience some rather significant um, product shortages. Yes, we saw similar things happen in uh, in Washington and Colorado um, and even in um, Alaska. Part of the reason for this has been that there's a huge spike in the number of people who use cannabis after legalization. All the people who were sort of holding off because it wasn't legal sure. decide they're going to try it, or people who didn't use it for many years go, okay, I'm going to try it again because I liked it when I was a kid. Right. Um, and, and so you get this spike in the numbers. That will level off eventually, and there will will be sort of a steady amount that's purchased and consumed and a steady amount that we can supply. But we don't know how big the demand is actually going to be in the few weeks after legalization. So it's a big question that our government hasn't come up with a good answer for and keeps assuring everybody they're going to be able to meet the demand. But sort of the experts in the area say, I don't know that that's true. Yeah, as you mentioned it, I'm thinking back to the uh, Washington State experiment a few years ago, and that was the case. They opened it up and they were tapped out in a couple of days and, and weren't we're at all ready for it. Hopefully, based on recent experiences of the next-door neighbors, uh, uh, Canadian uh, governments are a little more uh, uh, tuned up for, for the stocks, but I, I agree with you, uh, we are going to experience shortages. And then there's the province of Ontario, which uh, for some reason is not going to allow retail stores dispensaries as we call them until next year you can buy it there but it has to be online that seems to be giving permission to the local dealers to hang in there for another six months sort of free of charge exactly and i mean any city or any province that's taking that type of a a very slow or i mean i would even say regressive approach to legalization of cannabis is only going to black market sales because people already have their black market connection it's not going to go away after legalization if you don't replace it with a lawful mechanism that's easy to access and ease of access is such a huge issue so uh, i mean i am really concerned about the goals of legalization being met when there are places like ontario that are not following through on giving people good access to cannabis yeah, it's all gonna it's all going to come out in the wash, of course, over the next few days. But that strikes me: Canada's most populous province appears, from this distance at least, to be well the least prepared for all of this. Uh, we did open up the phone lines, Kyla, so let's include some of our listeners going forward, and we'll check in with Neil in Vancouver first. Neil, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for having the program. Uh, hi, Kyla. Hi. Uh, you know, the, the, the attempt to uh, prohibit the use of cannabis and the growing and selling with the criminal law. 
has resulted in great disrespect for the law across Canada, and it's undermined our justice system, in my opinion, because there's never been a victim involved to, to, to justify the criminal law. There's no mens rea, that thought that you know that you're going to cause harm to somebody, and there's no actus rea in that you act in a way that does cause harm. Right. How can they continue to use the criminal law in trying to curtail people's cannabis use from the, the black market to their monopoly? That's a very good question, Neil, and, and well put, too. Kyla, go ahead, please. It's been one of the major points of criticism of this law is that it is still using this, you know, heavy-handed power of the criminal law to punish people for violating what are excessive restrictions placed on the ability to access, consume, distribute, uh, and use cannabis. I, I do predict that as the years go by, we're going to see the law evolve to be more tolerant. And I, I, I the government has been saying this too. This is just the first stage of it. Yeah. But it is. It is disappointing that they're still using that that strong power of the criminal law and that Canadians are still going to be given criminal records and face jail sentences for certain cannabis-related offenses. And on the matter of criminal records, there are a lot of people who are have criminal records currently based on an arrest uh, in recent times or even a while ago uh, based on a, a possession charge and conviction. Uh, this is now a legal commodity in British Columbia. And yes, it was illegal at the time and you were breaking the law. But what about this? This is part of what you do in practice, Kyla, uh, trying to have the criminal records of some of these individuals, these possession uh, crimes expunged. Right now, there's not a very good mechanism for it. Right now, the only opportunity you have to get rid of that criminal record is to apply through the pardon process. There is a bill that's been tabled uh, by Murray Rankin um, in the House of Commons that's being debated right now about a process that would allow for an almost automatic free and speedy elimination of criminal records for nonviolent, simple possession offenses of cannabis. Right. And I, my hope is that that passes. Um, the difficulty is that um, Mr. Rankin had, had tabled a similar motion earlier this year that was shot down very quickly. And I worry that it's going to be met sort of with the same disappointing outcome. So is this part of the thing that's still being shuffled in the deck from where you're sitting? And as, as you mentioned already, uh, it, a lot of this is sort of going to sort its self out going forward. I just don't hear a lot of commitment from the feds on this particular issue so far. Do you? No, I don't. And what we hear commitment from on the feds is unfortunately commitment to prosecuting people who are breaking the rules, commitment to continuing to prosecute the black market, commitment to attempting to keep cannabis out of the hands of children, which is great, um, and commitment to prosecuting driving offenses. Right. We're not seeing commitment to things that, that benefit the public in the ways that the public is saying, we want this to happen. Interesting stuff. Now, Kyla, I need to take a break for the news. I'm going to get you to stand by there in Calgary. The Phone lines are open, friends, 604-280-9898 to criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Group here in Vancouver, 604-280-9898. Your cannabis questions, and where are we going to be allowed to smoke this stuff? That's uppermost in my mind these days because I haven't seen anything written anywhere except at the airport. Lots more ahead on Vancouver Consumer. 
Sterling Fox with you on this gorgeous fall afternoon in Vancouver. 13 degrees in the sunshine. Joined on the line from Calgary by Vancouver criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee with the Acumen Law Corporation here. Kyla is in uh, Calgary uh, giving a presentation to fellow criminal defense lawyers about impaired driving, uh, specifically with cannabis and stuff. Well, uh, phone lines are open, 604-280-9898. Michael in Richmond will get to your call first in just a second. Uh, we, we all received, all British Columbia households received the the cannabis act what you need to know uh, g- a flyer and also from one another one from the bc government called get cannabis clarity.ca uh, more get the facts type information how how well informed kyla do you think most of us are with respect to all of this legalization stuff not even anywhere near where we need to be the information that was sent out by mail was helpful for um teaching people about a few basic facts. Right. But when it comes to things that are going to affect your day-to-day life, like whether you can smoke in your condo building or mm-hmm. whether um, whether you can smoke before you go to your workplace or how much you can have before you drive a car and how long you have to wait, those are questions that the government can't answer because the answers change depending on who you are. Right. I'm looking again. Now, this is one of the two flyers. I brought them both to work with me today because they dropped up in the mailbox a couple of days ago. Now, here's one about, uh, this is under the Safe Communities uh, heading. Smoking or vaping cannabis is allowed in most public spaces where you can smoke tobacco. Local and indigenous governments can further regulate cannabis. There are laws in place to keep your community safe. So, uh, and that's the, that was the word from YVR. Vancouver International Airport says uh, anywhere you can currently smoke tobacco, tobacco around the airport in those designated areas, you will be allowed to smoke cannabis. Is that pretty much going to be the standard in British Columbia? What do you feel uh, in terms of the the direction we're moving here vis-a-vis consumption, Kyla? I think the standard in BC is very open towards consumption of cannabis and public consumption. There are limitations, you know, parks, schools, uh, things like that. Universities are allowed to make their own rules. Right. Um, uh, and you can't obviously smoke it in a vehicle or on a boat. Um, but there, there is sort of generally uh, going to be acceptance of smoking cannabis anywhere where you could uh, where you could smoke it if it was tobacco. Okay. So I think we are taking a, a sensible approach in that regard in British Columbia. Well, that's, that's interesting. And, and Michael, hang on, just one, one more item. And this just came up during the news. Aaron was talking about a story about how the government of Canada is now a little ticked at the province of Quebec, which was going to have, as, as, as it does where you are today in Alberta, Quebec and Alberta are, used to be the two provinces with 18 as the minimum age for drinking and therefore consuming cannabis. Uh, the new government in Quebec, and they're only a week old, have already said they're going to bump that up to 21. And of course, the federal government says, wait a second, that age group, 18 to 21, is the most likely group in the whole country to be smoking pot. Why would you take, why would you continue to make it illegal? for that group. I haven't heard what their response is. What do you anticipate they might say? I think they'll refer to studies that have shown that uh, cannabis can have some detrimental effects on developing brains and that brain development will continue into your early 20s. And so from the perspective of protecting children and protecting young people from the the few but some detrimental effects of cannabis, that um, that might be why they're coming up with that number and what their justification is. I find it surprising that the federal government, when they said we're going to leave age restrictions to the provinces and we want to protect children, would be critical of a government that's 
created their age restriction and is going to justify it by trying to protect children. Right. It, it, it almost makes their earlier comments ring hollow. Yeah, it, it, well, there's, there's a lot of hollowness going on around here, and I think that's a vacuum of information uh, that's creating a lot of that hollow echo. Uh, back to the phones here. Michael in Richmond, sir, thank you for your patience. Good afternoon. First, I want to make a comment about that. Every province has a right to set its own uh, legal limit for drinking, and so they should have the same right for a consumption of cannabis. The Fed should butt out. But that's not really why I called. Okay. You know, when this discussion goes on, uh, you guys should differentiate between uh, uh, recreational and uh, medical because in about a month, Shoppers Drug Mart, Loblaws, uh, PharmaPre, and a lot of others is going to be selling medical marijuana. Correct. And I'm all in favor of uh, more restrictions on this 420 bunch, even though I invest in it and I make all my money on uh, cannabis, okay? Um, I'm totally against this free-for-all that a lot of these young people think that it was going to be. When they thought legalization, they thought it was going to be a free-for-all. It's not going to be a free-for-all. The big boys want to get involved. The liquor stores want to get involved. The government and uh, the pharmacy companies and everybody. So these uh, uh, small uh, dispensaries, they're out of luck, and I think they should be out of luck because there's no control over the quality of the cannabis that they sell. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, bounce that one off, Kyla, Michael, and thank you for your call. Uh, uh, there is certainly a quality control issue, uh, and the government is very insistent that legally operating dispensaries anywhere in the country receive their product, their merchandise, if you will, Kyla, from government-approved sources only, underline only many times. Yes, and th- there is an issue with quality control even coming from licensed producers because of the regulations that we've set up in British Columbia. The people who are operating when we have the recreational stores up and running in the province who are are selling at those recreational stores are going to be uh, limited in the amount of information and the type of information they can give consumers about the cannabis that they're purchasing. They're they're going to be prohibited from directing people towards a particular preferred product. Right. Um, and so it's going to make it difficult for the recreational users to get the quality perhaps that they're looking for without just trial and error. Right. Uh, and now, when you go into a liquor store, uh, especially in Alberta, where they're all private, most of them are here in BC are private too. And even in the the government run stores, they have items on sale. And there's a sales a sale on Schmirnoffs this weekend, folks. Uh, six bucks a bottle off, or whatever it might be. Is I my understanding, and I may be wrong on this, but my understanding is that's not going to be allowed in the cannabis. And if the liquor store next door may have sales on certain types of booze, but the cannabis store won't be allowed to. Or have I misread that? No, they won't be allowed to. Pricing is going to be very heavily restricted and controlled, and there's a lot of taxes that are going to be added on to the price. And in order for the government to achieve its goal of, of eliminating or reducing um, the amount of black market cannabis, the the stores are going to have to offer the products at the very minimum price they can possibly offer them at. So you're not going to see a lot of price competition in the area, which is unfortunate because price competition sort of fuels industry um, and fuels uh, fuels development of better products that can call for a higher price. Mm. You're not going to see that. Um, and I think that's doing a disservice to development of, of the agricultural industry relation to their cannabis. But also, um, it's part of those restrictions, again, like I was mentioning, because they can't promote one particular product over another, you right. can't offer 20% off cannabis from Canopy and, and you know, not 20% off cannabis from Aurora or whatever sure. the case may be. Interesting stuff. Back to the phones with uh, Tom on the line, joining us from Victoria this afternoon. Hi, Tom. 
Hi, just a quick question. Uh, if you can smoke a couple of reefers where there's designated smoking areas, are you allowed to also suck down a couple of beers? That's last a, time I checked, last time I checked, they both made you impaired, didn't they? So what's the deal? That's, a, that's an excellent question. My son made the same point to me today because we were talking about this business at the airport, where you know a few people are probably going to have a bomber before they get on a plane. But and my son pointed out, well, they they can't take a beer outside with them and and have a beer. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of uh, talking out of both sides of your face in terms of the rules committee on this one. So Kyla, what do you think? I think that that relates to the different impact that alcohol versus cannabis can have on your behavior. Um, You see people who consume alcohol traditionally become more aggressive. They lose their better judgment. uh, They become more boisterous. They can cause more of a disturbance in public, whereas people who are high generally are not so much of a problem for the rest of society, and they can get along in a crowd and get along with other people. So I think it just comes from the, yes, you're impaired perhaps from both, but the way in which you are impaired um, dictates where you can consume it and whether you can consume it openly in public. Okay. Now, consumption, let's stick with that for a little bit because you brought up a very interesting point. You mentioned condos. Now, this is this is shared property. When you live in a condo, your home is not your castle. You share your castle with, well, in many cases, uh, hundreds of other people, uh, many of whom are non-smokers. Many condos are non-smoking buildings, uh, and yet uh, probably, a few, probably a few liquor cabinets in those non-smoking buildings. So, again, the, this is a lot. Of, is this going to come down to strata community or strata council bylaws, individual building to building, Kyla, or is there likely to be more blanket regulation on this? We're seeing it come down to individual to building to building um, rules. So, I mean, the answer for a lot of people, unfortunately, is if you don't like the cannabis rules and you can't convince your strata council to change them, you may need to look to buy a condo elsewhere, which is not a very satisfactory answer. Not at all. Living in the lower mainland. Okay, so again, though, that uh, that at least you, you suspect will be handled on an individual uh, basis rather than the ministry of whatever, uh, the Liquor Control Board or whoever's in charge of cannabis in B.C. I've got a folder right here in front of me. It's, it's the Liquor Control Board. It's, it's all about uh, uh, cannabis, cannabis.ca and uh, B.C. liquor uh, people. So they, they're likely to just step back and, and say, okay, it's your condo. You work it out. With the exception of the common areas in BC's Cannabis Act, they have prohibited the smoking or vaping of cannabis in the common areas of of any apartment or condo. So regardless of what your strata council says, you can't sit in the lobby of your condo building and light up. Right. Fair enough. Uh, Back to the phones. We're in Cloverdale this time. Mike is on the line. Hello, Mike. Hey, good afternoon. Um, So what's the difference between standing outside and smoking a joint or sitting in a bar at an airport in the lounge and downing a half dozen um, scotches. Uh, well, uh, getting on a plane. <laughs> well, 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 first of all, I think I think realistically, I'll let Kyla answer this. She's the pro here. But my only comment would be this one, Mike: uh, Scotch doesn't stink. Uh, and if, therefore, you can have 12 if you want, uh, you're going to be in tough shape. But nobody around you is going to be bothered by it unless, unless you're the world's most obnoxious drunk. Uh, well, there's lots of those out there. Well, no kidding. And you see them on planes far too often. But, Kyla, it's an interesting point that Mike raises. It, it is. And, you know, I think we're going to have to see some time pass before we know exactly how we're going to deal with the sort of the public consumption and the public intoxication issue with cannabis. 
in the same way that we deal with it with alcohol. But we do have uh, offenses in British Columbia for public intoxication by right. cannabis. Right. And the police can arrest you if you think you're intoxicated by cannabis and in a public place. Okay, and and uh, at the same time, of course, in Vancouver, we've now got Kitts Beach and one the, one of the other beaches uh, uh, next summer going to be selling beer and wine. So we're we're attempting to be a little more adult uh, at the water's edge to accommodate not just the tourists either, a lot of local people. So uh, is this perhaps uh, the beginning of, of the loosening of some more uh, regulations, and is it leveling the playing field? I guess is what I'm after here. Yes, I think we are leveling the playing field. And I think we will see with those, particularly those open outdoor spaces like beaches and parks and and sports fields, things like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to see eventually the ability to use cannabis in those spaces. Um, I don't think we'll see the same um, relaxing of the rules around enclosed spaces just because of the risk of the secondhand uh, smoke inhalation and the potential elevation of people's THC concentrations from the secondhand smoke. As, a, as would be the case in the lounge at the airport, for example, right? Yes, exactly. And that can then lead to problems when it comes to people who are, want to drive or people who have employment restrictions that they can't have any THC in their body. And, and we don't want to expose people to THC blood concentrations that don't to have it. Right, sure. And and that, of course, is going to be, and this, of course, is, is uh, people like you, the legal profession, uh, literally uh, are going to do well, especially probably in the first six to 12 months, Kyla, because there's just so much up in the air. Only got a minute left here. What do you think is, is going to be the most challenged part of implementation? I think the restrictions around access and consumption is going to be the most challenged thing right from the outset, followed closely by the driving laws. Okay. So just where you can purchase it. And, and of course, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these places in Vancouver uh, have been operating as businesses with $30,000 business licenses for years in some cases. Are they likely to get licensed, most of them, do you think? The provincial government has said that anybody who continues operating after legalization without a proper authorization, and there's not going to be anybody after October 17th who has that, um, are subject to being uh, being charged under our provincial laws and potentially charged under federal laws as well. Um, And so I think there will be some argument about whether or not they can actually do that after charging people tens of thousands of dollars to give them licenses and letting them operate in this year for so long without shutting them down. That's yeah, interesting stuff. Well, of course, uh, I'm, I'm sure you and your, your friends in the legal community are quite looking forward to the opportunity to argue many of these uh, issues in front of, uh, of a judge. Kyla, nice of you to take the time. I know you're busy. You're working this weekend in Calgary presenting at the uh, Criminal Defense Lawyers uh, Gathering. So we appreciate your taking some time out for us uh, back home in Vancouver. Oh, thank you. Anytime. That's good stuff. There's Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Corporation uh, and uh, lots more information. And we appreciate your calls on this as well. Uh, Very good stuff. And again, this is not the last time we're going to do this with a criminal defense lawyer. It's only going to get, I think, more complicated uh, as we go forward. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Group here in Vancouver for another very informative visit. And thanks for your calls, too. Coming up in our next hour, John Carlson with a look at Metro Vancouver real estate and lots more on the 1% Realty Story. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at BC Hydro's readiness for high electricity demands from pot growers. 
Thanks, Sterling. BC Hydro is expecting a big spike in demand for power once cannabis is legalized across the country on Wednesday. Under the new laws, adults can grow up to four plants in their home. Here's BC Hydro spokesperson Tanya Fish. We are following what's happened in other jurisdictions that have legalized cannabis. And based on that, we are expecting to see an increasing demand on our system uh, from licensed cannabis growers. According to BC Hydro, legal cannabis production accounted for roughly 1,000 gigawatt hours of electricity in 2017. That's equivalent to running 100,000 households for an entire year. That's only expected to climb once cannabis is legalized. And Fish said BC Hydro is ready. We are fortunate in BC to have a large hydroelectric system. This allows us to respond quickly to changes in demand. And we do have the extra power needed to to meet the growing needs of this new industry. However, not everyone will be able to grow their own pot at home. BC landlords have the power to prohibit renters from growing cannabis plants and a number of strata corporations are also looking into bylaws to block the practice. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. We've all known for years how valuable a Canadian passport is around the world. There was even a time when the Canadian passport was considered the most valuable. But in recent years, we've slipped down that list a little. Last week, in the newest ratings from the Henley Passport Index, Japan is now the most valuable passport in the world. Japanese citizens can now travel either visa-free or visa-on-arrival access to 190 countries around the world. Singapore is second, uh, the one country less than Japan for Singaporeans. Germany, France, and South Korea tied for third. Canada is now tied for sixth place, along with Belgium, Switzerland, and Ireland. The U.S. is one ranking ahead of us at fifth, tied with Norway and the U.K. So whose passport travels the least? Dead last in a tie, Afghanistan and Iraq, just below Syria, Somalia, and Pakistan. Last week, we reminded you about Fright Nights at the PNE. And this week, for those who aren't really into walking around for hours, being scared to pieces every few minutes, we offer the Haunted Trolley Tours. First of all, you get to sit and relax, mostly, while you ride the two-hour tour of Vancouver's spookier locations, including, of course, the Lady in Red at the Hotel Vancouver. Haven't heard that one yet? Well, this could be a good one for you and all your friends. It started up last night, and it runs right through Halloween, departing from Canada Place. Lots more info on the Haunted Trolley Tour at westcoastsightseeing.com. Those are a few more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll have some more after the news break. John Carlson is on deck with a fresh Vancouver market real estate update and more on the 1% Realty story. If you have any thoughts or suggestions about our show, we'd sure appreciate hearing from you, uh, email them to sterling at cknw.com or tweet us at Van Consumer. The news is coming right up on Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.